Hi everyone, Noah here. Just want to pop in before we get underway with this episode of Perspectives Unsettled to let you know we had a couple of technical difficulties in our remote recording. We were able to sort this out by the 13 minute mark or so. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode nine of Perspectives Unsettled. I am Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And with us from Colorado is Amanda Brown. Hello. Hello. It's good to have you on our podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to get into our conversation where we're going to talk about missiology and how that is formed and what that means. But uh, before we get into that, Ben's got a super exciting question for all of us to bond over, I think. Very exciting and very important. So Amanda, thanks for joining us today. And as Emily said, you live in Colorado. The three of us here live in Indiana. I would love to hear from you, Amanda. And then I'd love to hear from you, Emily. And Noah, feel free as our producer to chime in. What is one thing that you love about living in the respective state that you live in? I'm excited to hear you answer this, Ben. <laughs> well, I'm happy to, but also want to make sure we have time to defer to our guest and to you two as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious about your answer too, Ben, because you, I think you've lived in like 57 different places. So, yeah, close to that for sure. Yeah. Yep. Cool. <laughs> yep. Um. So, Amanda, let's hear from you. What What's your favorite thing about living in Colorado? Um, it snows here, but my favorite thing is that the snow does not last because I hate the snow. Mm. So wow. It'll last maybe a couple of days and then the sun's shining again. That is a nice feature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One uh, of my favorite things, but that's the one I'm going to choose. <laughs> How about you, Emily? Tell, tell me about the great state of Indiana. What do you love? You know, Indiana gets a bad rap in a lot of ways. Right. But I like, I like Indiana. Yeah. Um, I think it's just because, you know, this is like where all my friends and family are, which uh-huh. is a big selling point. Yep. But um, I think it's I like having all four seasons. You know, that's something totally. a lot of people say. And some of the seasons are much shorter than others. Yes. Like there's usually maybe two weeks of fall. But I really my favorite is winter and spring. Okay. And I think Indiana does a really good job at like the the springtime transition <laughs> You know, Indiana of, puts out a solid spring. Indiana's got a pretty good spring. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. Noah, how about you as a lifelong Hoosier? What yeah, I mean, Hoosier's not a bad name. It's just unique. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your I mean, favorite weird, thing? But... Is that your favorite thing? No. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't know. Most of the time I think about not being here than being here. Oh man. Uh, I thought I was going to really love travel answer. No. Um, so your answer is that Indiana is really easy to get to other places from. It, your yes. favorite thing is that it's a flyover state. No. The crossroads of America. <laughs> Maybe. I think that's our state motto. Right? No, you're really selling it here. Yeah. Like, I just can't wait to visit. Yeah. I'm doing a good job of letting other people answer for me. Uh, it is really easy to get just about anywhere. It's true. Um, you know, it, you're not going to, I mean, if you need to drive two hours to go somewhere else, we've got. Got a lot of options. Yeah, you've got four major cities. And then if you add another hour on top of, a couple of hours on top of that, you got Chicago. So it's yeah. really not, it's not that awful to to go somewhere fun or do something different. We're cool because it's of who not we're that close awful by. to leave, is what I heard you say. Yeah, <laughs> it makes staying it's easy not to as go. terrible. <laughs> Dan, how about you? Aren't we like um, Abraham Lincoln's boyhood state or his something boyhood like that? Home. Boyhood yeah, his boyhood home. I'm going with that answer. Have you seen no. the boyhood home? I have not seen the boyhood visit. home, but the fact that Indiana <laughs> was the space <laughs> and the place where one of our greatest presidents grew up, I just think is amazing. You know. Colorado's got nothing on that. Then I, I have a feeling that the answer to this is no. But have you been to the restaurant to log in? Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. No. So it's out kind of off of the highway. And its claim to fame is that Abraham Lincoln once stopped there. It's the oldest restaurant uh, in Indiana. That's, and that's cool. it. Amanda, were there any presidents born and or raised in Colorado that you're aware of? 
That is not that I'm aware of. I would have to do a Google search on that one. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't, nothing, nobody sticks out to me. The only reason I know that Indiana is the place where Abraham Lincoln grew up during his boyhood is because it's on every state sign <laughs> when you cross any any border into Indiana. We're not good enough to be Lincoln's birthplace, but we are his boyhood home. (laughs) Well, the only other president from Indiana was was the one who died after giving a really long inauguration speech. The shortest presidential. (laughs) He got pneumonia because he didn't wear a jacket. Yeah. So we gotta we gotta hold on to Lincoln, I think. Mercy. Every mom, like my mom always just got on me about not wearing a coat and it's cold. She could have told me that story and that would have been it. Yeah. Right. See? It was raining and he was adamant. And then he died. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't this a great question? That was a pretty good question. Okay. Good. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That was a good start. On this podcast, we've talked a lot about how disciple making is a part of our identity as Christians. We're all called by the Great Commission to participate in Jesus' mission of bringing the gospel to all people. But even when everyone agrees that this is something we should pursue, arguments around how can stop any progress before we even get started. The foundation of good missions work is good missiology, which are the principles that guide our actions as we seek to make disciples. It combines knowledge of culture, history, sociology, and language with theology and empowers Christians to share the gospel well. But bad missiology can elevate attitudes of white saviorism, perpetuate exploitative industries, and actually turn people away from the gospel. Good ideas or programs get twisted and become ineffective at best and harmful at worst. Disagreements on methods aren't just about personal preference or what program seems like it'd be the most fun. It's about what Jesus asks us to do and whether or not we're actually doing it. If we want our actions and missions to be effective, we need a deeper understanding of our missiology. So what is good missiology? How do our experiences influence our perspectives on missions? And why should every Christian make an effort to form their own personal missiology? For this conversation, we're talking to our friend Amanda Brown from Lafayette, Colorado, where she's the global outreach coordinator for our partner church, Flatirons. So Amanda, you work in missions at one of Uncharted's partner churches in Colorado. Um, And honestly, that's kind of all I know about you because I haven't met you before we started this. So um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I work in the missions department, missions director at Flatirons Community Church, which is a multi-site church up and down kind of the front range in the Denver area. Um, I'm a native, a Colorado native, which is days i like to eat well maybe i didn't coin the phrase but i saw a sign that said uh colorado's full we're closed basically don't move here so we're closed Dang it. um yeah sorry you just got to stay in indiana <laughs> um yeah native born and raised kind of in the metro area i've been around Flatirons for probably about 10 years um, just attending the church and then getting involved in a couple of volunteer capacities. And then um, was on staff a couple years ago. I left staff to work for one of our international partners. And then I've been back on staff in the missions department for about a year and a half or so. And then the missions director role is uh, brand new for me as of a couple months ago of this summer. We have experienced a little bit of impact from COVID and have done some restructuring around the church. So. Here I am diving in. And then my biggest connection with missions here at Flatirons has been through one of our specific international partners um, in Central Asia. So that is where I kind of, I don't know, caught the missions bug and then God has just grown it exponentially um, in my heart, in my mind, in my community. So I'm, I'm really, really honored to represent Flatirons around the world. That's awesome. And we're super pumped that you are in this new role of missions director at Flatirons. Thrilled that we get to partner directly with you. Thank you. Yeah. Not quite sure what I'm doing, but I'm holding on to the bus and here we go. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we good. So how did you 
get interested in, in missions in general? Like what was your first, like, I know you talked about your, the partner organization and that's kind of, um, maybe flamed a passion, but what, what's kind of been your, your missions journey, I guess, if you will. Sure. Sure. You know, I think even thinking back, honestly, to, as a kid, I've always had this kind of interest in cultures and people and languages different than my own. Um, I don't know even as a kid if I would have called it that, really knew what that was, but I've always kind of pursued friendships growing up with folks that didn't look like me, whose families life a little bit differently than me. So I don't know, I definitely would have would not have called that missions as a kid. That kind of led to some really beautiful friendships through high school and college um, with really diverse groups of people, um, Muslims, Middle Eastern background folks in particular. And it just felt very natural, I think, in the end, looking back on it, it was very, definitely the Holy Spirit kind of engaging friendships um, outside of my kind of family circles or neighborhood circles. And then that, I think, just led me to a little bit of a wanderlust, a little bit of a travel bug. Um, curious about what else is out there in the world, but little did I know that God would intersect who he is with a little bit a travel bug. Um, so honestly, my very first mission trip out of the country mission trip, I had led high school students here in the States, which you might consider that like the hardest mission trips period, which are <laughs> high school kids. <laughs> but um, my very first experience in international missions was to a central Asian partner. So talk about going big. Um, and with that, yeah, just dove in curious about, like I said, how kind of culture and people intersect with who God is, but not at all anticipating um, what he would reveal to me, which on that first trip I did was just, it just changed everything. It changed my heart to, I think, understand for the first time or, or have insight for the first time that God does not operate in isolation and seeing for the first time who God was on a global scale just sparked something in me that is still with me. I have such a passion for walking alongside other people as they discover what that looks like for themselves. So as I think back through my missions journey where I bit the bug or the bug bit me, <laughs> let me start it. As I think back through my missions journey where the bug bit me on this first kind of all-in experience in a in a really uh, different place, I, I kind of see how God took me through this path of discovering who he is on a global scale, far beyond the type of God that I'd known here at home. Um, so it's like he, he did this, he made the world really big and made himself really personal at the same time. So I was able to see who he was in me in a new way, but also who he is around the world, um, really for the first time. And out of that, my biggest probably passion and missions has become walking alongside other people as they discover that for themselves, how God is calling them into the world, and then how he is diving deeper into relationship with them as individuals, which I think is in some ways has led me to the role that I play here in missions at Flatirons, um, equipping our short-term teams and those interested in longer-term commitments in really um, helpful, kind of thoughtful, very relational ways. I That's probably what excites me most about my role in missions now is, yeah, walking alongside other people is they discover what that is for themselves. I, I don't feel pressure to tell folks what their role in missions is. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I do think there's some really cool things in partnership and relationship that we can do to help people start to walk that journey. That's cool. Ben, how would you answer that question of like, what's got you into missions? Because I feel like, I feel like, A, I should know, mm -hmm. but I don't know that I could answer that for you. I mean, I think for me, the short answer is just just the exposure to it. I had the, I would say, the, the privilege and the opportunity of growing up in a ministry context. Um, my dad was um, a pastor at a church. 
in Connecticut and then in Wisconsin. And in both those contexts, he, he had connections that allowed us to participate in some pretty unique ways and cool ways in ministries around the world. So growing up, I had a lot of exposure and at an early age, a lot of participation in global missions and kind of like what you said, Amanda, even from a young age, the bug bit me and, um, and God just kept fostering that awareness and broadening my scope of what his global kingdom looks like to the point where when I felt a strong call into vocational ministry, I knew that regardless of what that looked like specifically, global mindedness and global mission would always be some sort of part of it. That's cool. That's interesting because I was just thinking of, I had read this uh, Barna study recently about um, people in missions and like the current kind of generations of Christians and their relations to it. And one aspect of it was um, what would... Um, maybe convince somebody to go into missions and the number one response is if they feel like they're called to it but number two or three was like there's a specific place that they have been that has convinced them like okay well this is where I want to go this is what I want to do I think probably most of the times there's a combination of of several of those but it's interesting to hear you know two different but similar stories that that have like reflective of went on a trip to a place and this is kind of where I, where I found it. Or I, I just feel like this is something God's calling me to pursue wherever, wherever it goes. You know, I, I really hold the belief that God has wired all of us to um, have maybe a, a tenderness for groups of people who are outside of who we are. And I think if we're, really paying attention, he'll lead us down roads that reveal that to us. I really feel a, a, a tenderness towards Muslims. And so I, you know, the parts of the world that really interest me or, or I feel called to pray for and, and visit and partner with um, usually are Muslim-based countries. But I think that looks different for everyone. I mean, we have here at Flatirons, we just have a church of some people are called towards single moms and some people feel a call towards the elderly and kids and, um, you know, youth. It's across the board. So kind of to what you're saying, Emily, I think if if we're open to it, the Holy Spirit will lead us mm-hmm. kind of to, to people or to groups of people outside of ourselves where we feel a natural connection to, to kind of pour out who we are and who Jesus is to those people. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about missiology and how we've all kind of built our personal missiology, where we like the churches we participate in. And as we start, I think it's helpful to start with a definition of what Mm -hmm. missiology is. Um, As people who who work full time in missions, we probably know, but not everybody listens. What and I found this definition with Missio Nexus, which is a missions organization. Um, and it says, missiology is the reflective discipline that undergirds and guides the church's propagation endeavors as it advances the knowledge of the gospel in all its fullness to every people everywhere. Which is a little bit wordy, using a couple like very fancy vocab words in there. <laughs> you sound smart, though. <laughs> well, I I wrote it in that case. This is, this is my personal <laughs> No, but um, really when it comes down to it, missiology is just... Um, you know, guiding principles that you have that that inform your decisions and how you treat people um, and how you advance the gospel. Um, and this is something that's shifting and difficult and everybody has their own and every organization has one. So as people who have both Amanda and Ben who have been in missions for a while, how has your um, definition of like what good missions should look like? Like this is Maybe you've never had a like defined missiology for yourselves, um, but how like maybe when you guys first started, how has your experience kind of informed your your concept of of good mission? Ben, you want to go? You want me to go? Go ahead, Amanda. I was hoping you go first, and then I just ditto you. <laughs> I think my background or or understanding of missions was really that. M- maybe older, more traditional model where 
the Americans come over and they build the thing or they bring the thing and then they go home and they feel great about themselves and they tell all their friends that they've built a house. Mm-hmm. Um, which in, in a, you know, an intention maybe is okay, but what the past decade or so in missions has really taught me is how damaging that model is mm-hmm. and how um, that really is a recipe for disaster in many ways, but more than anything, a recipe for disaster and failure and dependency in the, in the groups of people that we seek to really help. Um, so Flatirons very much approaches missions in a relational way. Um, we really try to rely on our international partners to tell us what their communities need and want and how we can be helpful and come with that attitude. I try to set some of our teams up that, that visit our Central Asian partner to say, you may raise all this money and travel halfway around the world to drink tea with other women for a week. And if that is what we're doing, that is a huge win mm-hmm. um, because we're building relationships and we're, we're coming and we're being friends and we're being brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not completing projects. So we really try to, to keep that people over projects philosophy at the forefront of what we do while we allow and, and, submit to our partners and what their needs are um, for the communities that they serve. That's probably been the biggest perspective shift that I've experienced and walked and made mistakes in, um, in this missions journey. Ben, what would you have to say to that? I think, especially the relational point that Amanda was talking about, I think is significant. And so For me, to that point, maybe I would just add the word support is something that has really been impressed on me over the last several years of my development in missiology is that God is already working in these places, and it's not as if we come in to bring God there. God's already there. His presence is already there. He already is working in and through his people in in those places even if it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of his people in those places. And so the relational point is significant in addition to how do we, how do we support, how do we support our brothers and sisters through which God is already doing things in those places. So like Amanda was saying, rather than us coming in with our agenda or our, um, you know, our vision or our goals or things along those lines in the context and through the context of relationship identifying how we can best support our brothers and sisters in those places through whom, which God is already working. Um, so that would be, I would say one thing in my own missiology that has developed over the years. Um, I would say another thing is, even though it might sound small semantics wise, like really shifting away from language that represents the ideas of conquering and converting and winning to really elevating language that is more about restoration and just those ideas of really the hope of the gospel is that it's restoring not just humanity, but all of creation back to the father and back to that original intent, if you will. And I think that the message of the gospel is much more beautiful and also much more powerful when the emphasis is restoration versus conquering or converting. And so that for me personally has been something that's developed in my, in my missiology. Um, and then finally, um, I would say just a more holistic sense of what mission and missions should look like that typically over the, the span of generations, especially recent generations, there's been this pendulum swing of you know, you, you are either only declaring and quote unquote evangelizing and talking about the gospel and Jesus or the other extreme of that pendulum is you're doing things, you're demonstrating it's good, good deeds, very, uh, again, sort of quote unquote humanitarian, but that really, in my humble opinion, good missiology is a robust expression of both of those things. Um, that it's a both and, not an either or. 
it's the declaration and the demonstration of the of the hope and love of Jesus. Yeah, it's cool to hear you guys talk about that because I feel very much like personally very young in my like missions life, missions journey. I don't I didn't really have any connection to missions until honestly I started working here doing mm-hmm. stuff like I had gone on you know, the youth group mission trips, I've built the houses, I've mm-hmm. done stuff like that, but it, it never felt, maybe I never felt a very specific call to it. So it was always like, ah, that's something I support other people doing and mm-hmm. they can go do it and be great. Um, and so I, I feel more like I'm learning as I go along. And this is a great place to learn about missiology mm-hmm. <laughs> because you think about <laughs> missions all the time. Um, but it's cool to hear you guys kind of uh, explain your process and in a lot of ways forming um, missiology or even forming the fundamentals of what our faith is built on is more like growing and aging and maturing than it is like, okay, I'm going to study this and I'm going to figure out what this is, what mission is supposed to look like. I'm going to check off these boxes. It's really, it's really hard to do without experience. Um, and so I'm really, I'm really grateful to be able to have experiences that um, I can see impacting me already and, and hearing how they will continue to impact me is pretty cool. So we are, we are very missionsy people. And even though I I've said I'm kind of young in my journey, I still work for a missions organization. So this isn't a strange conversation for me to be having, but I think for the average Christian, we just don't think about it very much. Like, like I was saying before I started working here, it was something I knew was a part of faith, but I wasn't, excited by and frankly wasn't really interested in figuring out you know where where my place was in fulfilling the great commission or or having i mean well i was gonna say i didn't have a lot of opinions but i mean i had a lot of opinions i just had (laughs) misinformed opinions hadn't been stirred up yet (laughs) (laughs) right um so why do you guys think i'm assuming you guys think it's important for you know the the average christian that the every man to have some sort of sense of missiology and understanding of what it should be. Um, so what do you think are some, some good reasons if somebody was skeptical and they said, I don't need to think about missions, what would you guys say to be like, actually you should. And here's why. Okay. So I think there's a lot of reasons that I could give. Maybe I'll just offer two and they're, kind of at different levels. So what I mean is I think there's a level for why people should care about this when it comes to just the broader concept of missiology and God's mission. And then I think to a more specific level, why people should care about engaging in global missions. So on that first level, I think it's really crucial for any follower of Jesus to understand that our God, our father is a, is a God on mission that he is, um, you know, since, since the brokenness of humanity and creation way back when he has been on this mission to redeem and restore creation back to himself. And the crazy part of that is that he wants to use his church, capital C, you know, the bride of Christ, the people of God as the primary way to enact that restoration and redemption back to himself. So I think it's really important for any follower of Jesus to understand their place in God's broad mission, if you will, that whether I'm a stay-at-home parent, a business owner, an entrepreneur, a teacher, a pastor, whatever, fill in the blank, I do have a role that I'm not just on this earth to make money, to get my life as comfortable as possible. Um, that's not, that's not the primary purpose. So I think at that level, it's really important for any follower of Jesus to understand their place of, I am part of God's mission. That's it. I think the next layer down more specifically in terms of engagement with global missions, um, you know, Amanda's already articulated some of those, some of those reasonings. And I, I agree with those. Um, and the one that maybe I would just highlight is, just the way that global missions does create this much more colorful. um, It's sort of like watching a TV show on black and white versus high def. And, And that's how I see just in terms of our understanding of who God is that we go from this 
myopic, you know, one monocultural understanding of who God is. And the more we engage in other cultures and other peoples and other languages, we see this much more beautiful, colorful, vibrant understanding of who God is that I think is super important for any follower of Jesus. Uh, and why one of the reasons why I would advocate for people to engage in global missions specifically is I think it adds a vibrancy to their faith that you miss out on otherwise. I love that kind of visual of the God, like our God of the world being this really colorful, vibrant God who is so creative and so diverse in how he presents, you know, the different parts of who he is and different peoples around the world. I love that visual. I would, yeah. I mean, I kind of was going down the same road as you, Ben, um, of who we're called to be in, in the redemptive plan God has for the, his people. And I read recently, I can't remember why I read it, but it, they were making an argument, you know, Paul, apostle Paul is often credited with being the first missionary, but they're making an argument that Adam and Eve were actually the first missionaries, which I think is a really interesting thing to think about when, like you mentioned, Ben, when you think of God's people, the people of the universe, being here to reflect grace and and who God you know is who God is and who God wants to be um, in redemption and who He seeks you know how He seeks us in that redemption. So when you think about that, Adam and Eve were the first representation of His image. So mm. we absolutely are called to be on mission as believers um, and followers of Jesus to reflect the character of God amongst those who don't know him. You know, Flatirons, one of our primary values is to be catalysts for Jesus to intersect in the lives of the lost and broken. So those that need him, those that want him, those that are looking for a different way to do life, um, which is all of us. So I think that pulls us into mission, into God's mission. And it's that that may mean in an international setting, but that very well could mean here at home. That might mean to your next door neighbor. So I think sometimes we get a little bit stuck in, well, I can't travel around the world. So therefore, missions isn't for me. And that is not the case at all. Yeah. Living missionally and going on a mission trip are two different things. Yeah. yeah that have a relationship with one another, but are two different facets of the bigger story. That's funny because I feel like I tend to think more, more practically, <laughs> like whenever I'm thinking of this question, like I like, um, I like approaching a problem and knowing this is the kind of outcome that I want. And so now I know how I can work towards fixing the problem. So, mm -hmm. so to me, um, having a good missiology is kind of seeing like, okay, this is, this is the, the vision of restoration that I see God has for these people. This is, um, this is what will be good. And now I get to figure out, so what are, what do I have to do in order to work towards that? Mm. And that, I guess I just tend to work backwards from a lot of problems. That's <laughs> <laughs> the Apollo method. <laughs> uh, Emily, I'm with you. My brain is very much wired the same way that I, I want to know the plan that I'm walking into and how to execute it well. And I, that has been one of my biggest kind of, I don't know, challenges or areas of growth that I am still working through is just hold, you know, holding on, like not knowing the answer, just taking one step forward and allowing myself to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, ben, like you said, I think at the top of the podcast, like God's already doing this. He doesn't actually need us, but he will glorify himself once he allows us to be part of the story, part of the work that he's doing. So gosh, letting go of the reins has been one of the hardest, I think parts of my missions journey, but also one of the most beautiful, fruitful parts mm -hmm. too. And it feels like the more I learn to let go, the just the better it gets, which is very counterintuitive for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also helpful to have, you know, guiding principles to to balance out like 
a, a passion or a zeal um, to kind of temper. You know, we go into we go into communities where there are needs, um, whether it's spiritual needs or physical needs, and you know, it's easy to to be overwhelmed and to feel like I just want to help everybody immediately as fast as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having a really good understanding of this is actually what that should look like. This is uh, more difficult, but better. These are these principles that I really believe in. I think that helps balance out rash action with, mm-hmm. with wisdom and you, and you find yourself um, work, working smarter and maybe causing, causing less harm, being more careful and thoughtful um, which feels a little counterintuitive in the moment when you see somebody who, I don't know, for example, someone who's hungry, you think, I just want to feed them right now. But when you kind of come in with a more full understanding, a more holistic understanding, um, and you've committed yourself to to certain principles and to certain actions, then you can help them, you can help people more, and you can diminish the hurt that a lot of historical missions have have had inadvertently. Yes. very really very Western of us to want to fix it and fix it quickly and, you know, do the, the efficient thing. Um, but that isn't always the right thing or the best thing, mm-hmm. yeah. which is yeah very challenging. I think for Americans to um, really understand in the missions context. It reminds me of what one of our other guests um, in an earlier podcast, Carlo from another partner organization was saying, I can't remember if he actually said it on the podcast or if it was just sort of other conversations that we'd had with him, but he, he uses the phrase of our job is to steward, not to save. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a simple statement, but I think when you apply that at any level in this world of missions, it's a really helpful statement, you know, to yeah. remember that, yeah, when I come into this space, it's to steward a relationship in an honorable way. It's to steward any level of resources in a way that's actually helpful mm-hmm. not to come in as the savior, not to come in as the one who's, you know, okay, now, now things are going to get better because I'm here. Um, mm-hmm. But rather steward again, like what, what is God already doing here and yeah. who are the people on the ground that know how to do this better and that sort of approach. There's something built into us as um, Americans, especially I mean, we're a capitalist culture. A lot of what drives most business and most people is growth and attaining more and higher numbers. And, you know, if, if we're, you know, if you're a business and you make a million dollars in profit this year, you want to make two next year and five the year after that. And you can look at missions that way. And I think some people do, especially people who donate sometimes. (laughs) Um, They want to see numbers. They want to see growth. They want to see all of those things with great intention. Mm -hmm. But it's separate from the reality of what missions actually is and engaging with relationships and stewarding those relationships and stewarding the resources that we have. It's not all about growth, though we'd be thrilled and and Mm -hmm. love to see that it's not 100 percent about growth it's about the people that those numbers represent um and that's a an interesting challenge i think for a donor um uh, to recognize but i think even anybody walking into missions Mm -hmm. vocationally to recognize that it's not necessarily about saving one more person or you know starting a new um, you know, children's home or relief center or something like that. But oftentimes it's just fostering those relationships that are, that are being developed along the way. It's mm, good. Yep. That was my one statement <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> good job, Noah. Yeah. Thanks for your contribution. Good one You're welcome. Come out yep. of hiding for. I'll go back to my hole. <laughs> <laughs> we only let Noah out a little bit <laughs> each podcast. So, <laughs> I'm curious how you guys would answer um, how how does your missiology impact the the non ministry parts of your life? You know, like 
(laughs) (laughs) All of my life is ministry, Emily. Uh. <laughs> okay. All right. We've got the Jesus, the answer out of the way. We can move on to actually having. I'm really struggling with it. this question because right. it's just All, always on. I, just, I live on mission, yeah. so I'm never not on mission. <laughs> but, well, I think it's easy for us to sit around and talk about this this is how missions works. This is how it affects. We all, we all work in missions. So we do this all day. Um, most people don't. And we, you know, we agree it's important for all of our, for every Christian to have a developed sense of missiology and in some sort of calling to it through the Great Commission, whether it's international missions or not. Um, so, so what does it look like for the average Christian when they're not um, overseas or they're not doing something that looks like serving? How does how does missiology become not just this? one slice of our faith, but how does it uh, influence the rest of us? I think I've noticed and I've experienced kind of a common, sometimes a common theme, maybe after somebody does some sort of mission trip around the world that, you know, you really discover how much we have here in the U.S. and and how blessed we are, how um, advantaged we are, how much excess we live with. And I think a temptation is to think, I got to go home and sell everything I own and live in a cardboard box. Um, (laughs) That's what God's calling me to do with this experience. And for me, it's kind of that thought or maybe temptation very early on has really resulted in, no, God God put me in this country for a reason. It wasn't a mistake, but I still have a responsibility in that. So even when I'm not traveling or I'm not doing something related to missions ministry, I still have a responsibility to steward well and represent him well and be a, a catalyst of, of his love and his grace in everything I do. You know, that, that, that goes, I have a responsibility in, in every area of my life and every circle to maintain, yeah, kind of that calling that I do, I think, use in in international settings, but it doesn't just stop once I get off the plane. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think as a very advantaged nation with you know a lot of our own brokenness we as believers have a voice and a role in that um in that if we don't have that coming first here at home i'm not sure we have much business doing it around the world um, the other thing probably cuz you you kind of asked like how has your your ministry your missions ministry impacted you here at home the other probably negative it's kind of funny because these are what I shared and then what I'm about to share kind of opposites. But I also, I've developed, I think, a very much a frustration here in the States um, that we don't have perspective. Like people, we live with so much and there are so many people around the world doing so many cool things or struggling or you know, just surviving day to day. And I, I don't think collectively our nation has a ton of perspective on that. We can, my personal opinion, get pretty whiny, um, you know, and that's playing out, I think, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in some of the stuff we've all navigated this year. And I, I just, international settings and missions and um, some of the tragedy and hardship and beauty that I've discovered around the world in some of these settings have just really exposed me to my responsibility here in the States, but also my yeah perspective on just entitlement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, what you were saying there is talking about perspective and entitlement. It reminded me of, I was reading... Um, an article by Ed Setzer, where he's talking about um, having a personal missiology, what it means to be somebody with an with an understanding of missions. And he says this person is someone who incorporates theology, a nation's culture, history, language, anthropology, sociology, and religious beliefs to help them become an effective missionary. And um, 
like that is great for international missions, but I also think of how amazing that would be to if we as Christians approached like our issues here <laughs> at home, um, nationally and just interpersonally, um, very intentionally coming to to each interaction with people and looking at each problems with with the more I'm going to use another a Ben Stewart word a more holistic um, view of of the problem and the person and and what the restoration could be. Yeah, it's good. You guys are smart. I don't think I have anything to contribute. <laughs> We're going to kick you off the podcast. If- <laughs> I think sometimes we feel, I don't know, almost this like very noble, when we apply that stuff across the ocean, we feel this very kind of noble, um, almost like exotic kind of feeling of I've made such a difference in this, this global environment. Um, and we've brought us together and, you know, we're all one and you're right. We forget that when we get home, but really the same thing exists here at home. Just looking back at the question that you were asking, Emily, in terms of how has missiology impacted the non-ministry parts of our life? And seriously, I do think, um, both you and Amanda had very strong responses to that. And so I guess maybe, Probably what I'm about to say is just a rephrasing of what you already both said. But recently, my wife and I were talking about this idea of what does it mean to be conduits of God's kingdom to all people anywhere we are? And I guess maybe that is the way that I would answer that question. What does it look like for me to have my missiology impact the non-ministry parts of my life as I think about our neighborhood, like where we live here in the tri-state area, as I think about a few specific neighbors as I think about um, just the different relationships that we have outside of Uncharted and outside of our local church that we're part of. It's been a fun exercise, but also a challenging exercise for my wife and I to think about that question. What does it look like for us to be conduits of God's kingdom into those relationships? And so, you know, it's, it's the neighbor who's walking through a divorce. What does it look like to be a conduit of God's kingdom of God's presence into her life, inviting her over, you know, my wife inviting her over on the back porch and just listening to her walk through that experience and lamenting with her and talking with her and just being present with her. And so I think sometimes we have these grandiose definitions and expectations of what being on mission looks like, you know, that yes, it's getting on a plane and going to these crazy countries and doing intense stuff. And it can include that, but when we look at God's mission through that lens, through that phrase of I, I'm merely just being a conduit of God's kingdom, um, then it then it shows up in like really small ways, practical ways, tangible ways, every everyday life ways. But it does take intentionality. It takes remembering that my life I'm living today is so much more than just make, you know, getting the paycheck or whatever, but actively saying, how do I be God's, how do I be a conduit for God's kingdom wherever I am today? So for us, I think for my wife and I, that's how we've started to have that conversation or at least frame that conversation. Well, Amanda, we do really appreciate certainly the time that you took today to be part of this podcast and even more than that, we really appreciate just the ongoing partnership between our respective organizations and the friendship that we have with you and maybe more than anything else, the legitimate excuse to come out to beautiful Colorado <laughs> when we get to hang out with you. So again, thanks for all of that and specifically for today, taking this time. Thank you all. Please come to Colorado anytime, but don't stay. <laughs> right, yeah, You're closed. You're closed. That's right. All right. All right. Take care, Amanda. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, hopefully after that conversation, you guys have recognized the importance of thinking about missiology and your role with it and, and where to start when we figure out what that means. Well, on November 20th, Uncharted is hosting our first Global Days of virtual webcasted event that will be streaming Friday, uh, November 20th in the evening. 
we're going to talk about missiology and, and why we as Christians care about missions and how we do it, what Uncharted is doing um, to help to fulfill the Great Commission. We're going to get some updates from our partners overseas to talk about um, what what they've been up to, how they're how they're working in their ministries. And we're also going to start fundraising for the ministries in Central Asia, which is two different schools, and also raising funds for our Myanmar church planners to do ministry activities with. So you can RSVP for Global Day by going to unchartedinternational.org slash event, and that will put you in the right email chain to get the link when it gets live, but also just get updates and more information. And while you're there, you can also sign up for our email newsletter where you get updates monthly from our partners overseas, what they've been up to, what their prayer requests are. Um, And you can edit your preferences. This is a new thing we've just started that I'm pretty excited about. You can edit your preferences to get more updates from specific communities or podcast updates um, or news briefs. So head to unchartedinternational.org slash event and just get all of the information you possibly could want. And one thing that you can do to help this podcast is to uh, to su- subscribe on whatever platform that you that you listen to the podcast on, but also to rate us five stars. Um, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Anything less doesn't really help. Right. Don't bother. <laughs> don't bother. <laughs> if you All right, I'll change my rating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it really helps uh, to get our podcast uh, higher on the charts in front of more people's eyes. Um, and that just helps um, kind of validate our existence. No, it <laughs> uh, it helps people hear, um, more people hear what we're doing and what we're talking about. And we, and we really appreciate it if you do it.